0: This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Ali. Alley, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company. In collaboration with Ali, a membership only community workspace for creators, each location is a community curated and powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Ali, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next level ecosystems with entrepreneurs. And now, onto my interview
1: with Elwood Edwards. And then I was told at one point in the early 90s, it was estimated that my You've Got Mail was heard uh, by 35 million people every day. Yeah, yeah, check it out.
0: I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah everybody tuning in you invited you invited no matter what mood you in get excited get excited everybody love the music let me tell you how they do it whether writer or an agent let me tell you how they made it you are now talking to a silent giant want to walk in their shoes silent giants want to study they move silent giants want to know what they do silent giants silent giants (laughs) y'all pop bless and welcome to another episode of silent giants a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at @silentgiantspodcast. To keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at @corey_cambridge. Our special guest this episode is Elwood Edwards, the iconic voiceover actor who brought you AOL's unforgettable phrase, You've Got Mail. In this interview, we get to learn more about Elwood's upbringing in North Carolina, how he got into radio and news, and of course, he explains the origin story of how he recorded the memorable phrase that birthed the internet, you've got mail. Also, be sure to stay tuned to the end of this episode for a very special announcement. So without further ado, let me introduce you to the first voice of the internet, voiceover actor, news anchor, my friend, the silent giant, Elwood Edwards. Elwin, how you doing today, my man? I'm well, sir. I'm well. Where where are you based out of? Newburn, North Carolina. All right, where where is where is Newburn? Where is that? I'm from Virginia. I've never heard of that town.
1: Okay. Um you familiar with Highway 17? No. Seventeen is a north south major highway. And it comes down into North Carolina, I think from like the Portsmouth area. Okay, oh yeah, Portsmouth, Virginia. Uh, yeah, right. And uh, 17 goes right through New Bern on the way to Jacksonville, which is where Camp Lejeune is. What's Camp Lejeune? Is that like an Army base? Uh, Marine Corps. Marine
0: Corps. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Are, are you originally from there?
1: I I grew up in New Bern, graduated high school here, started my TV career here. Yes. Okay. All right. All right.
0: Uh, tell me how... Um, okay. I always thought off on the beginning of the podcast, I believe that there are two things that, that make great people, great people. And I think where you're from uh, geographically uh, is a humongous advantage of of becoming successful and who your parents are. So tell me, what did your parents do?
1: Dad was in the Army. And Mom had her hands full with me and both of my brothers. And professionally, you said you, you started off your
0: career working in television. Tell me more about that.
1: Well, I started in radio in high school. Um, and from there, went into TV as a booth announcer and a film projectionist, which you don't hear of anymore, because there's no film in TV anymore. <laughs> yeah, well I don't, what? I don't think there's film anywhere anymore, but um, unless it's a, a movie house or something. But um, I loaded more Popeye cartoons than I can count. <laughs>
0: What made you want to go into the world of of radio?
1: I was fascinated by electronics in general and broadcasting in particular. Uh, I was a ham radio operator when I was a teenager. Um, And it just seemed to be a natural flow for me. And I can't imagine being in any other business. What was your introduction to radio? Oh, I had a best friend who worked at a radio station in New Bern. And I was just fascinated by it. And I figured, okay, well, uh, if he's got a voice, so do I. And I had the Elmo show <laughs> in the afternoons. Elmo came from what my brother used to call me. And uh, it just just went on from there. I was, that was in my um, sophomore and junior years in high school. And when I was a senior in high school, I became uh, more and more interested in television. The day after high school graduation, I started at the TV station that I am now at again, uh, as the booth announcer in the mornings and the film projectionist. Now, when you
0: decided you want to get into radio, what was the first job you were given? Because I'm I'm, assu- I'm assuming you didn't just have your first role being you know an on-air personality.
1: Uh, yeah, I did. I was uh the The obnoxious kid who would not leave people alone, <laughs> wow. and um, they finally uh cut me loose and let me have my own afternoon show yeah, okay, so hold on. this is a very, very
0: unique career trajectory to be able to have your own show and be a a you know vocal personality at such a young age. Well, right. uh, how did that, why do you think you were given that opportunity so young?
1: I guess because I had something that the manager saw that he liked. Um, and I know that my dad, my dad would carpool to work after his army retirement. Uh, and he and his friends would listen to me in the afternoons. And uh, it just seemed to be a natural thing for me. I wish I could explain it more than that. Yeah did 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 they ever say like
0: wow you know oh you have an amazing voice was it, like did you know early on that you had a a, a
1: gift in that way? I believe so. Yes. Mm-hmm. How did you know you had a gift? It just the way everything just kind of fell into place for me um, as a booth announcer in television, introducing things like the Bozo Show. And the morning movie showcase and things like that. And then later on the evening news. You know, things like this is action news and and things like that. They they it all just fell into place for me. So you have this
0: early and successful career in radio, and then you make the pivot to television. How did that pivot to
1: television happen? Hmm. I guess it was just more a matter of my fascination with it than anything else. Uh, and I don't know that that's something that could happen today. Uh, but it did at the time for me. And I'm I'm very, very thankful for that.
0: Now, with your role in television, was it behind the scenes or was it on camera?
1: I did a short stint as a weatherman and what we called rip and read sports because I didn't know anything about sports at all. Um like uh, red Sheen Deist was a baseball player, and his name was always a stumbling block to me but um doing the weather was a was a bit of fun. I was a skinny kid with a flat top and black rim glasses, like everybody wore at the time, um sometimes with a a break in the middle and white tape holding it together you know but um it um i I didn't enjoy. Being on camera as much as I did being behind the scenes, that's where things really, really seemed to, to fit for me. Yeah, because because
0: being a you know radio personality and then all of a sudden being on camera is a completely different skill set. So how did you develop that skill set? Was
1: there like an audition or or you know for you to have that role? No, things weren't that sophisticated at the time. We're talking about um, the late '60s and early '70s. Um, it was more or less, let's give the kid a chance. (laughs) That's pretty much the way it happened. Did you have
0: a background in science or something? Like, how do you, how do you all of a sudden feel comfortable presenting the weather? (laughs) Like,
1: um, I learned early on how to read uh, some of the flow charts of what the wind was doing and things like that. I depended mainly on, um, the I can't say the internet connection, but uh, the connection to the National Weather Service. Uh, they would fax us things, and you know, fax is something else is a bygone. Um, and it would take forever for faxes to show up. But, um, I mean, we had uh, the wire service from the Associated Press, and I depended on that pretty much for my forecasting. But like I said, that was a short stint. I, I wasn't as excited about being on camera as I was with um, working behind the scenes.
0: Is it so? After the weather, uh, what was your next step, career-wise?
1: Um, manager of the production department, uh, a director. Uh, I there. I've done almost everything you can imagine in television except for sales and the actual repair of equipment. Everything else I have done. Wow. Now, now, give
0: us a time frame of of what years that we're speaking of from your your first job in in radio uh as a young teenager until where you're doing programming for the television station. Like what time frame is this?
1: Um, I started in radio in 1964. Graduated from high school in 67 and started in television in 67. Um, That was when I was a booth announcer. Um, And um, progressed on to being a director, a master control operator, a studio camera operator, uh, someone in the creative services department, which was mainly in charge of shooting footage for commercials and working with clients and things like that. Uh, into mid-level management of the production department. Um, Then I left North Carolina in 85 to go to Washington, D.C., where I was operations manager of a television station there. And nine years later, uh, in 94, went to um, Akron Television Station, where I was also operations manager. Two years later, that station was sold, and the sellers offered to keep me if I would go to Houston and be the manager of their station there. So from 96 to about 98, uh, mid-98, I was general manager of a TV station in Houston. Um, I was in Houston for two and a half years. That was the longest 10 years of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Houston weather is extremely hot uh, and extremely humid. And if you've been following any of the weather reports lately, um, they're very susceptible in Houston to flooding. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tropical storms coming off the Gulf. Now, the Galveston area, I really liked, but Houston, no thank you. (laughs) I I finally resigned from that and tried to do commercial voiceovers. Um, We moved back to Ohio after I resigned in Texas. Bought a home there, converted a spare bedroom into a small studio, and... The only job that I did out of that studio that actually paid was a voice I did on The Simpsons, which followed after the AOL thing, where I said, you've got leprosy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. T- tell me, I, I want to learn more about you know how you discovered the world of, of doing voiceovers.
1: Again, it was something that just naturally occurred, just... Um, I can't say it was any part of a master plan, I, I, other than God's plan for me, but um, there was nothing I I did on purpose to guide me down that path that I can think of. It was more or less bloom where you're planted, which is what I tried to do. I always have tried to do.
0: Uh, what was your first job as, as a voiceover actor? Do you remember?
1: Actually, the AOL.
0: That was your first job as a voiceover actor?
1: Uh, other than doing local commercials for television stations, you know, I've always been a staff announcer at any station I've ever worked at. So, you know, station IDs and things, news intros, promotional announcements, things like that I've, I've done throughout my career.
0: Is this something that you saw as an opportunity that could be a career or was it something that you just enjoyed doing? You know, and it was kind of like a one-off
1: thing. Yes, I, I just enjoyed doing it. Um, like I said, it wasn't any, any part of a master plan on my part, but I, I sort of just fell into doing it. Um,
0: tell me the story of, of how it came to be that you would um, do the voiceover for
1: AOL. My wife at the time, Karen, worked for... Quantum Computer Services. She and I met on Commodore 64 computers in a Christian chat room in 1986. And as the company was becoming America Online, she overheard Steve Case discussing with the programmers how he thought it would be a neat idea to add a voice to the software to greet users. So she volunteered me and on a cassette deck in my living room, I recorded, welcome, you've got mail, files done, goodbye. She gave that cassette tape to the programmers, they digitized it into the software, and here we are today. Now, what year was this? I recorded those in 89. Okay. Now, what, what
0: the company was called Quantum, what again? Quantum, Quantum, Quantum Computer Services. Quantum Computer Services. So at, in Vienna,
1: at, they were in Vienna, Virginia.
0: Okay, so did you know at the time that this company was doing anything cool or was a leader in technology or anything like that? Did it did it feel like this was a, some budding thing?
1: I guess I was fascinated by computers at the time and to be able to communicate online at 300 baud modem <laughs> which is nothing today. But at the time, you know, it was, it was all phone line connections and things like that. It was fascinating to me, and I had an inkling that the company was going to continue to grow, but that was just my own personal um, assessment of what they were doing. But so you
0: kind of had an idea of what your voice was going to be used for, kind of in a way.
1: Well, I, yes, but I had no idea it would become what it did. I don't know that anybody did. When did you first realize
0: that your voice was going to actually be used?
1: Well, since nobody else had auditioned for it or recorded anything for it, I I figured it was pretty much a given. Hey, I'm Ryan
0: Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: But my mind's a little bit hazy about all the events that occurred then. But just suddenly AOL took off and... I mean, everywhere you went, whether it was a department store or the old CompUSA stores, um, there was always a display, you know, cardboard display case of AOL CDs. And, you know, I remember standing in line <laughs> at CompUSA and seeing them, seeing those CDs there, and thinking, my voice is on every one of those, and nobody has a clue. Wow! Wow! Yeah.
0: When when did the when did the company come from qu- Quantum Computer Services and turn to AOL? When did that happen?
1: I believe that was in 1990.
0: Okay, and you were aware of the name change? Yes, I was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. So, all of a sudden, AOL is becoming more and more popular. Uh-huh. Um, at what point for you do you kind of realize? That this is becoming kind of iconic, like your voice and this phrase, you've got mail,
1: was becoming an iconic thing. I suppose it was when um, people started saying, I heard your voice the other day. And then I was told at one point in the early 90s, it was estimated that my you've got mail was heard uh, by 35 million people every day. Wow. Which is that's that just you know that that's mind blowing, uh, even by today's standards.
0: Wow, I mean, definitely by today's standards, <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Okay, so hold on. At this point in your, when this is all happening, you know, are you still real? Is it still processing to you that this is kind of a global phenomenon? Like, I, I, I'm sorry. At what point did you realize that this internet this internet thing is becoming a thing? You know what I mean? Like did did you have AOL yourself? Oh yes, yes, and
1: I still do. Um I'm voicepro at AOL.com is my email address. And I mean, I've had that email address for what, twenty some years? No, more than longer than that. Goodness. As a friend of mine used to say, fun flies when you're doing time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I I don't know that there was a suddenly a, a an aha moment uh, when it came to what I recognize as the popularity of AOL. Started seeing it in news stories and things like that. But um, it just became a part of life. Um, and I, I can't say that it was just suddenly a a big flash moment, and it was there. It was a gradual thing that I and most people became used to having.
0: Now, this even spawned off the movie uh, "You've Got Mail."
1: <laughs> That's right. Yes. You know, uh,
0: at that point, what does it feel like? What did it feel like at the time to hear that? Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan were making a movie based off of your phrase. Um, <laughs> what did that even feel well, like?
1: It was very gratifying. Um, I wish I had gotten something out of that because I had an agent at the time with the William Mars agency and um, they tried to at least get me a credit in the movie. Uh, and the response to that was, no, we're not going to do that. Never heard why, but because um, my, my my voice was lifted right off of the AOL software. I did not have to re-record anything for the movie. Um, but AOL flew Karen and Meets New York for the East Coast premiere of the You've Got Mail movie. I saw the back of Meg Ryan's head when she was getting in her limo. And Tom Hanks was about um, 150, 200 feet away from me surrounded by bodyguards.
0: The phrase, you've got me out. So when when you were, when they presented you with the opportunity to record this, were there phrases that they gave you to say? Did you have to make up these phrases? Like, how how did the, the phrases themselves come to life?
1: I have wrestled with trying to remember if they supplied those four phrases or if Karen and I came up with them together. Either way, I don't have a, a definitive answer on that. But, um, I mean, I've, it's been pointed out that um, for the grammatically elite, you've got mail is grammatically incorrect. Um, but it's something that, that has caught on. I mean, even in advertising. Remember the commercials that said, got milk, question mark? Yeah. You know, and that that is also grammatically incorrect. Uh, my response to that used to be improperly so, but um, I understand people, you know, wanting to point out, because I'm, <laughs> I'm a grammar Nazi myself, I remember them being on a torn off piece of legal pad, yellow legal pad, uh, but like I said, whether it was something that was given to Karen to give to me or if she and I wrote them down. I don't really know. But uh, those four phrases were what encompassed the entire communication of AOL to the user. The welcome, you've got mail. When you downloaded a file, you heard me say, file's done. And then when you signed off, you heard me say, goodbye. Um, So, I mean, they're relatively simple phrases. uh, And they had to be short because at the time, AOL was being distributed on the small plastic three-and-a-half-inch floppy disks. And they were really, really limited in how much data they could hold. So that's why the the sound files sounded almost like it was over a telephone, uh, because they had to be reduced in size and therefore in in quality uh, to fit on that three-and-a-half-inch floppy. And that is the sound that caught on and it never really changed after that. Once they went to distributing the software on CDs and then later on online. Um, it still has that same phone quality to it. Even though I later recorded them for AOL as a favor when I had my studio in uh, you know, uh, 16-bit, uh, 48 kilohertz um, sound quality. Uh, which is like, that's like CD quality. I had a professional mic and a soundboard and that sort of thing. And they never did really use the new files that I sent them. They they maintained using the old ones. How does it feel to look back
0: and say, wow, you know, my my voice was the voice of the internet. You know what I mean? And, and this is, right. it's funny. I was watching the other day, Elwood, uh, Katie Couric posted something on Instagram And she posts a clip of her talking about the internet. (laughs) And she's like, what is the internet? Like, what is the, what is the at symbol? You know what I mean? And when I think about, when I was watching that clip, I was thinking about you being like, wow, you were the voice of the birth of the internet. What does that feel like?
1: Kind of odd, actually. Um, I mean, I just had my 70th birthday last week. And because you had a birthday last week as well. Oh, yeah. Um, And, I mean, to reach this stage of my life and realize that I had a positive impact on an untold number of people uh, in their development of becoming used to the Internet, that's a wild thought to me. Um, I mean, most people still have no clue who the voice behind AOL is even though there have been articles done on me. I've been on the Today Show. I've been on on Jimmy uh, Fallon. Um, And most people are very surprised to to know that it was a real person rather than something mechanically reproduced. Because I remember um, when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was in its height of popularity. Uh, they had a supermodel edition of the show. And Heidi Klum uh, was given the question, Elwood Edwards is famous for what phrase? And you've got mail was one of the four choices. And she said, it can't be you've got mail. That's not a real voice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Speaking of your voice, what makes your voice special and unique? And, and why do you think that you obviously have had an amazing career, even from childhood, of people mm-hmm. recognizing that you have an amazing voice? You know what I mean? What What is it about your voice, do you think, that resonates with people?
1: I think it's a friendly voice, uh, personable, uh, not harsh. I've always wished my voice was deeper than it is, but it is what it is. Um, And I I think people took those AOL phrases to be something that was friendly to them. And beyond that, I have no clue.
0: (laughs) And we we all recognize, you know, the amazing phrases that etched in the memories of, you know, of the birth of the internet and, and your voice. And we will always remember you for, that you've got male phrase in your relationship with AOL, but what is your greatest achievement and your greatest accomplishment personally? Hmm.
1: I think uh, one thing, having survived this long. <laughs> being here. Yeah, right, just being here. Because um, there are a lot of people who don't have the privilege of, of reaching 70. Um, and I mean, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not trying to be a fatalist because I believe I'm going to live forever. Um, but I would say not to preach, but the greatest thing that has ever happened in my life is the Lord Jesus Christ. um, Without him, I don't know what I would have ever done in life.
0: Hmm. What have you had to sacrifice, Elwood, to achieve the things in life that you've achieved? <sighs>
1: wow. That's a heavy question. Um, perhaps the early development of my two daughters. Because I, I did have to, to travel quite a, quite a bit from North Carolina to D.C. And that marked the end of my first marriage, which I, I'm sad about. And I don't know that any accomplishment can ever offset how negative that is in my life. But um, that's, I'm start, starting to sound a little bit sad. I'm not trying to be sad. No, it's all right. Uh, but um, I, I agree with you that any accomplishment in life that is worthwhile does come with sacrifice. And I think that's, that's pretty much it.
0: Wow. Elwood, man, thank you so much for what you've contributed to popular culture. You know, the more that I do this podcast, the more that I appreciate the little small nuanced things in life that are great that we just kind of pass by or, or it just becomes so common to us that we don't think about them anymore.
1: <laughs> right. You know, certainly.
0: And from this podcast, I've really learned to grow to appreciate, you know, not just the the people, the famous people that we see, Beyonce or Michael Jackson or something, but the people who change our lives in popular culture every single day. You know, your voice. Yeah. Your voice and what you've given to the internet and people's lives is literally like air. You you know, there was a point that you just didn't even think about it because you just took it for granted every day, right? You know, and thank you so much for what you've contributed and and given to the world, man. Corey, it's been my pleasure, absolutely. Now, before we get out of here, you know, I have to ask you to say the the famous phrase.
1: (laughs) Okay, (laughs) welcome. You've got mail. File's done. Goodbye.
0: Goodbye, Elwood. Thank you so much.
1: Goodbye. Thank you, Corey.
0: Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of Silent Giants and to our special guest, Elwood Edwards. This episode was mixed by Joshua Coleman. And folks, I have a very special announcement. Silent Giants will be taking a brief break, and we'll be back at full speed spring of 2020 with lots of new episodes and surprises. In the meantime, please be sure to keep up with me and my other show, OPP, which highlights America's top podcasters and the dope shows they created. And I'll be posting episodes of OPP every Monday and Wednesday morning. Thank you all so much again for all the support with Silent Giants. It really means the world to me, and we will be back again better than ever with a whole lot of really cool surprises in 2020 that I can't wait to share with you at a later date. But for the final time of 2019, I'm your host of Silent Giants, Corey Cambridge, a.k.a. Podcast Poppy, a.k.a. Fly Rise. saying pod bless. Till next time.